At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. And he, he's amazing. He's amazing. I, I, love, uh, I love people that can take a pen or a pencil and pay, or paint and make it look real. That, that to me, and I, I, I get it. Unbelievable. That, it's, it's a, anyway. I don't know. I'd have to go with Frederick Remington, I think, is my favorite artist. Yes. But that's largely colored by background and culture, right? Yeah, no, hundred mm -hmm. percent. And and the and the subject of his artwork. I love Remington too. My dad has a has a a Remington that uh you know, I'm an only child. And they all have Remington. <laughs> Hopefully a long ways away. But let me plug in my podcast headphones here. You sound good. Oh yeah, it's all good. Cody, welcome to the welcome back to the, the roundup. Well, I should be welcoming back myself as well. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a, uh, I don't say it's been a rough patch, but I've just had a lot of, uh, you know, like first world problems with timing. None of it is, uh, there's, my, my life is uh, going very well. I'm not, uh, nothing to complain about. It's been busy with good stuff. Well, Joe Swanky out of, I'm going to mess it up again, Joe. I'm sorry, Wisconsin, Minnesota. I'm sorry, Joe, Michigan. I think it's Michigan. He killed me the last time. Michigan. Joe Swanky from Michigan reached out over Facebook. Said, where's Cody? Is everything okay? Yeah, no, everything's, uh, everything is good. Like, one of my problems was I spent a week in Cabo. So, th those are the kind of, <laughs> those are the kind of, I don't, I, I don't, definitely, no one should be feeling sorry for me. Um, those are the kind of things that have been interrupting my schedule as of late. So, it's not, uh, all, all good here. 
but we are working on a bunch of really good stuff in the background. Just FYI, it's not he like you don't see him. Stuff. You don't hear him. There's a lot of good stuff happening in the background. No. Yeah, in Colorado, Gaspar, do you know that we're coming to? You know that we're coming to Colorado in August. We're coming in August to. Um, we're gonna debut Lionheart. Really? In Colorado. Like it. We are with Dan Gates and uh, Cody. Where are we doing it? I think I thought we decided. Well, we have decided where we <laughs> want to do it. I don't want to say it yet, not for some stupid surprise reason, but I just haven't signed a contract on the place yet. Um, we're doing it in Fremont County. We can say that for sure because we have a uh, a truly solid, um, like no kidding, we can do it here. Um, we just have another place that we're um, in discussion, in negotiations with, and I have I I've been told verbally, um, and then I got to talk to one, like I talked to the actual owner of the building, but uh, yeah, we're doing it in coordination with uh, Colorado uh, for, uh, Trappers and Predator Hunters Association, I believe, is the organization behind a thing called Outdoorsman's Days, um, kind of a little. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they're using the word rendezvous, but that's the word that pops into my head. Kind of a little come and see anything and everything outdoors from archery shooting contests to call calling contests across the spectrum. Um, I've been to a lot of calling contests. I've never actually been to a predator calling contest, and there's going to be one of those. Um, a lot of instructional stuff. Just kind of a weekend thing at Pathfinder Park, which is a really cool place here in uh Fremont County in between Florence and Canyon City and uh, in conjunction with that and in conjunction with uh, CPW's really mammoth um, mountain lion study that they've been doing yep. for I believe they're in the third year now if it's not the second or third year um, we decided that we're going to world premiere our uh, feature length documentary Lionheart as you know kind of an evening uh gala event on the friday night of that weekend awesome i'll be there you'll absolutely get an invite <laughs> um we're just gonna make sure the film's done that's all <laughs> <laughs> that's not uh that's not my problem that's not gaspar's problem that's a robbie problem right there that is a robbie you guys problem. are doing good work though man i i've been impressed with the space that you guys have been able to carve out while sticking to the brand it it was so authentic originally that you know sometimes without the controversy these things have a hard time hitting that next peak and they stagnate you guys have surpassed that despite i think some turbulent wins so good on y'all we appreciate that man we really you know especially think, coming from someone like you yeah no absolutely an incredible honor i i think i don't want to claim uniqueness i hate saying like we're the only ones that do this because i just really don't pay that all that much attention to what everyone else is doing. But I think it's because we hit the controversies, but we also are very adamant about highlighting the good, right? There's always good to highlight. So you, yeah, I, I think there's folks out there that just like you just said, Gaspar, that, that stagnate when maybe there's a lull in the controversy. Or, or the, or there's the controversy that's out there doesn't apply to a to an incredibly wide audience. To me, that's that's what's always been cool about Blood Origins is, 
there's oh if you're look if you're looking to fight the bad and promote the good, there's always a story, right? There's always a story. There's always a great story. And uh, anyway, I don't know what I'm talking about, but that's yeah, I, I mean, I think that's right though. You guys offer a narrative format that resonates with the hunter at a at a more core level than the identity of being a hunter level, right? Like there are so many groups that pry on what we consider ourselves to be, you know, from an identity perspective as a hunter and angler. And there's a set of criteria that comes with that. But I think you guys have penetrated beneath that and it, it just resonates with the, the thoughts of a hunter and an angler that aren't often spoken in that identity format. Oh, I appreciate that. And um, yeah, I, I, to, to Cody's point, I will say we are unique. I don't think anybody else is doing what we do in the global space that we operate yeah. in. Um, you know, we're about to drop a, uh, when this, when this office, when this podcast drops, it would have dropped already, but we've got a big talking head about a, a ban of bow hunting in South Australia, but the content of that bow hunting ban is applicable writ large across the world. If anybody wants to ban bow hunting, here is the facts tied to bow hunting. Is um, it a, I haven't followed that. Is that a, 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 an ethical argument? Yeah, so the argument comes out of the RSPCA that it's quote-unquote inhumane. Because of the efficacy of the kill? That's what they say. Right. But they don't know that right now, concluding right now, is one of the largest bow hunting studies, period, coming out of Finland, that looked at the, the efficacy of kill between a bow, 130 deer, measured get a 100 deer shot with a rifle. And there's no difference. Right. It's reminiscent of a lot of the catch and release fly fishing conversations that have happened throughout Northern Europe as well. Well, don't get Cody started on catch and release. Oh, no. Here's the weird thing about catch and release fly fishing. Yeah. His hands are up, ladies and gentlemen. It's like, it's not me, I promise. No, it is me. It is me. <laughs> this is like, I don't understand... First of all, they're in the heroin addict in the world's got anything on me and fly fishing, right? Like I'm wrapped up in it and have been for 15 years. And I'm not sure I like the catch and release side of it. I mean, I, I do and very much do it. Like, right, right. Like I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. I'm saying it's weird to me to go out and put that much work into nature to get something in my net and then release it. That, that, that's a, that's a conundrum to me, honestly, but right. Like I, I, there's a, there's a part of me that thinks I should eat every trout I hook and man, there'd be way less trout in Colorado. Not that I'm that great. I just do it quite a bit. Right. Um, and, uh, I, it, it's a conundrum to me. It really is. And I, I understand people. I had this conversation with, of all people, Matt Ranella one time and, and said, I don't know, man. I get it. I get why people don't think I should go catch that fish, rip it, rip it in, and then put it back out. I, I understand that, but I'm not gonna stop doing it. All right, we'll we'll, we'll close that rabbit hole. <laughs> um, um, before we get going on the the podcast itself, here, I'm curious: were there any particular points around these gun bills? Oh, we're guys... on we're on the podcast already, Gaspar. What are you talking about? <laughs> When we it's get going, going on the podcast, that part out. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, 
yeah, with respect to the, you know, what I had prepared. Well, let's let's guys. introduce you because you're on the bloody podcast. So, Gaspar Pericone, welcome back to the Blood Origins podcast. Thinking that we're not yeah. live. As always, a pleasure to be here, fellas. No, we we appreciate you reaching out, and um, unlike our typical roundups, you know, we typically and well, it's, it is quite um, current events. We like to talk about current events of what's happening around the world of hunting, and sometimes we get super specific. And uh, we want to get super specific today, and we want to get super specific in Colorado because everything is happening quite rapidly in Colorado as it pertains specifically to the wolves, um, and and, and the, guns, and bills, yes, and the gun bills. So, um, just want to have a general conversation there, Gaspar, around like what's the state of play because I know that there's a couple of things. Uh, moving right now in Colorado, and people may be confused as to what is actually happening. I got. Uh, can I just kick it off with a kind of a layman question that I really don't understand and think it'll just send Gaspar spinning? Uh, before you start him spinning, because as soon as he spins, then we've got a rabbit hole that we're opening up. Um, but I will finish out some admin quickly. Number one. We have uh, some conservation club members that help us, support us throughout the world. And honestly, it is an international flavor of people that support us. Uh, Skulk Pinar Safaris out of Namibia. Uh, if you're ever looking to hunt Namibia, go check out Skulk Pinar. Uh, we have the Capriolis Club in the UK that supports us. And then if you are interested in dressing like someone that hunts in the UK, Hound and Hare. Uh, out of Kentucky, support us as well. So three really diverse companies that say, we love what you do. We want you to go to the horizon, keep doing it. Um, and if you like our podcast and you want us to keep going, please leave us a review, leave us a rating and share what you're hearing right now with everyone that you interact with. Cody. Yeah, ditto to all that. So Gaspar, here's a rumor that I keep hearing and I will, first of all, admit that I think some of my friends or the people that I interact with here might be a little bit on the, uh, you know, they're one, possibly some of them have a tinfoil hat and they're, or they're a, a short step away from a conspiracy theory tinfoil hat. Several people I've talked to are worried about in the state of Colorado, giving counties, I believe, the right to ban shooting firearms on public ground at their own discretion. Is that completely off base? Is that one of these gun bills we need to talk about? Or did people just make that up to scare me? No, you're, you're not off. Um, I think as you guys are certainly aware, and most of your listeners are probably aware, Colorado has witnessed a whole slew of uh, various firearm restricting bills this year in, in one form or another. And, and Cody, you're right. There was a bill, and I don't recall the number off the top of my head here, but I'll look this up for you, um, that did allow the counties throughout the state, there are 64 in Colorado, to issue restrictions on the use of a firearm within the county. Um the bill, as was introduced, was pretty wide-sweeping, and as you might imagine, we in the hook-and-bullet community uh, immediately took note of the potential implications that would have from a hunting application. And so we had approached the sponsors and proposed an amendment that would exclude the discharge of a firearm 
um, within the list of, a, of restrictions for the purpose of hunting. Uh, I'm glad to say that amendment was adopted, and so uh, there will not be county authority, all on the assumption that this bill becomes law and is signed in its current form. Um, that bill will not preclude the discharge of a firearm for the use of hunting in a county, and the county will not have the regulatory authority to prohibit uh, the discharge of a firearm for hunting in areas that hunting is currently allowed. Now, there were some other exemptions that were offered up as well, like the use of uh, a firearm for necessary agriculture practices, putting down a, a horse that uh, needs to be put down or putting a, you know, a cow out of its memory or misery on the occasion that were to get attacked by a predator or something to that effect. And, and there are some exemptions, but um, yeah, the, the bill certainly does expand the scope of authority and powder, power possessed by counties to restrict uh, shooting. And um, there are certain areas in the state, of course, where a lot of recreational shooting occurs on public land. Um, this, you know, this bill, of course, would not limit or close down any existing shooting ranges or trap ranges or anything of the sort. But, um, you know, there, there's going to be implications, certainly, for the, uh, the folks that like to go out and set in their rifles prior to elk season in the National Forest insofar as the county were to include some of those areas within the restricted area. Huh. What what what's brought this surge on? Has somebody just got their? I mean, it it seems like it's just gun bill after gun bill after gun bill recently. Well, I think it's a reflection of what we've been witnessing in terms of violent crimes occurring with guns. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say gun owner or non-gun owner, everybody's got a vest, vested interest in seeing a reduction in violent crime at the end of a firearm, and in particularly with respect to the school shootings. But uh, I, I think it's a response to national demands um, for reductions in gun violence. Um, there are certainly fair conversations to be had about whether the approach to achieving that outcome um, is, has been as clean as it could have been and whether there are in, unintended consequences in restricting, um, certainly, you know, responsible firearm ownership within the, the sportsman community. But yeah, I, I think, you know, it's fair to say that this is, uh, the, the consequence of the significant number of mass shootings in our country, unfortunately. Uh, is it currently making its way through... Where are we currently right now? Is it still sitting in the House, still sitting in the Senate? Where are we right now with it? Give me just a moment. I'll pull these up and let you know in great detail. I didn't realize we were going to be discussing these bills, but I'll get you an answer here in just I a second. I didn't know we were discussing gun bills either. I thought we were discussing wolves, but Cody tends to like well, just, just I really, side, side rail things. I, I haven't seen <laughs> any of the others. Several of the others kind of got my hair to rise. Um, but I haven't seen any of the others that look to me like direct reflection on hunting or ability to hunt. Um, not that that's all that matters with firearms at all, but that's kind of what this podcast leads to. I honestly got my question answered, and, I, and uh, as long as that amendment's in there, we can move on to wolves or uh, or cover. We, we can talk about whatever anybody wants. Well, to. I mean, for the sake of your listeners, uh, 
there are, there's a couple other bills that are worth note noting. Um, one is uh, Senate Bill 168, and uh, another bill is Senate Bill 169. One has to do with increasing the minimum age uh, to purchase a firearm. Um, initially, there were some pretty significant limitations on possession as well that we were worried would have impacts on the youth hunting population. Um, those have, those issues have been addressed by way of amendment. And then there was a uh, subsequent bill that would have expanded or will expand the scope of uh, potential liability um, to those that are involved in the um, line of, or the chain of distribution of firearms um, in the occasion that the end recipient were to use that particular firearm for a violent act. And there was some worry about what that might mean to the Ducks Unlimited and the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundations of the world who auction off firearms um, for fundraising purposes and in the interest of conservation. Um, both of those bills appear to be uh, sailing through. I think they are in their final uh, Senate confirmation on the floor today or yesterday and um, very likely will become law. Um, luckily, uh, the implications have been uh, the implications for the, the sportsman community have been largely mitigated um, by way of amendment and conversations with legislators and bill sponsors. That's good to hear. That one. That's go, good oh, to hear. That. Are we? We're talking about the manufacturers and the distributors having liability when a person commits a crime with a gun, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's just stupid as the day is long, in my opinion. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, if, if I took the door, this door off the hinges and beat Robbie to death, I mean, it doesn't, I don't know. I, I guess we can pound our heads against the wall, but I don't understand at all how someone, <laughs> that you wouldn't do it with any other, no one's ever brought up doing it with any other thing in the world. What's the manufacturer supposed to do? Like, how can they... Have in, they, the only way they can remove themselves from liability is to shut their business down. What what else could they possibly do with in respect to this situation? I don't know if you're looking to me for an answer to that question, but I think no, just, the question is a fair one. I'm just throwing. I mean, it's it's just stupid as shit, in my opinion, to to take that approach to it. I can. I, I'm not going to get behind any law really that restricts legal act what what and and you know legitimate access to firearms, but some of them I can at least have a conversation with a person about right. Like, I don't I don't and that two A people are going to get mad at me, but you you can have a reasonable smart conversation about background checks with somebody, right? Is this person a criminal before you know have they have they what's their past before I sell them a firearm? I, I don't know, you know, how far that should go or any of that, but I can have a reasonable, intelligent conversation about it. Making the guy that built the weapon 3,000 miles away liable for the action somebody took 11 years later with it is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in this whole discussion. There you go. Well, There's thank you, Cody. Quiet opinion on the deal. Going back to the original email that Gaspar sent us. Gaspar, obviously, wolves are coming. They are. They are coming. Are any of the bills that are currently being pushed through Colorado, and I'll say I'm asking this question purposely, and then we can backtrack and explain. Are any of the bills 
in the House, Senate, wherever they are right now, will any of them stop the wolves coming? They will not. Okay. Also, by design. Okay. So, we had a ballot measure, for everyone who's been living under a rock, little context, had a ballot measure two years ago. Wolves got uh, assigned reintroduction by the public, by the people of Colorado. Cody voted yes for wolf reintroduction. <laughs> um, I don't think we ever got a verbal confirmation on, on Cody's uh, voting record on this the matter, but I think he would have voted no. Cody voted um, no. There's your Cody voted no. <laughs> and uh, the, the timeline was pretty steep. By December 31st, 2023, wolves were to be planned to be reintroduced into the, into the state of Colorado. The governor itself, himself right now, wants actual feet on the ground by December 31st, 2023. You have gone through multiple public stakeholder meetings and comment periods. Uh, you've got a wolf management plan on the street. We did a video about the wolf management plan and what we thought it was lacking, specifically as it relates to phase four in terms of lethal management of wolves once the population had reached a, 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 a baseline or a trajectory mark. Uh, and that's where we believe, that's where last we, we sort of talked about it. and. That there's been two bills introduced into the into the legislature in Colorado, and that's what we wanted to talk to you about, Gaspar. You actually reached out to us and said, "Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, don't know if you're aware of what's going on here." Um, we had heard a little bit about the 10J rule, obviously, through the whole process. Um, but how about how did I do, Gaspar? Did I miss any key points? No, I think that's a, a fair background of how we got to where we are today. Um, your, your first point, or first question rather, was a good one. Um, you know, will any of the proposed legislation result in stopping the wolf reintroduction? And the answer to that is explicitly no. Um, this is really a conversation around the recognition that, you know, the people of Colorado have spoken. Wolves mm -hmm. will be coming to Colorado. And the manner by which they come and the management plan and the management prescriptions by which the state is afforded to manage the wolves once they get here is the core of the conversation at this point. Uh, it's obviously those of us in the agriculture community who run livestock as well as the sportsman community that this is done appropriately and correctly with the highest degree of state management authority possible. Um, the alternative, of course, being for an endangered species uh, on the list, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service would maintain final jurisdiction absent um, a, a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service approval of what's known as a 10-J, which is, is one of the bills. But uh, back up just one second here. There are three different bills um, okay. that we are considering at the moment, the first of which is one that was actually offered by the proponents of Proposition 114, the, the, the wolf proponents, um, and that establishes a state specialty license plate. It's called the Born to be Wild license plate, the revenue of which will be directed to Colorado Parks and Wildlife for the purposes of being um, 
granted back out or spent exclusively on non-lethal preventative measures. So those are things like flaggery, range yep, rapping, yep. all of these type of uh, preventative measures that you know are intended to mitigate ultimate wolf depredation. It's a good bill. We're glad to see that the proponents recognize both the statutory obligation in Prop 114, as well as the actual on-the-ground need for those, those measures. Now, that bill has got bipartisan support. I anticipate that it will become law. Um, uh, it's a rare occasion when you find members of the sportsman community standing shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder with members of the pro-wolf community and the agriculture community as well. And sure. It's a unique dynamic where we are solving an actual policy need in a good way. And so uh -huh. that's the first of the bills. Um, Gaspar, do you know whether or not one of the things that we brought up in the video that we talked about was the financial burden that is now placed on CPW to do this? Monitoring specifically teams of biologists, um, you name it. Has the budget of CPW been appropriately, appropriately appropriated as a result of this wolf uh, reintroduction? I think that remains to be seen. Um, I will say this. I think a sufficient effort has been made thus far to appropriate the funding that will be necessary, at least for the implementation of Prop 114. Um, you may recall last year, we were very concerned that the funding by which uh, the implementation of Prop 14 would come from would be sportsman dollars. Right. I didn't find that to be appropriate, so we ran a bill that excluded the implementation of a wolf reintroduction from being funded by dollars generated through the sale of hunting and fishing licenses. So that was step one in kind of safeguarding, so to speak, our account um, from a diversion. Um, this last year, the uh, General Assembly appropriated $2.1 million to Colorado Parks and Wildlife to offset both expenses that have already been incurred through the hiring of facilitators, through the public stakeholder meeting process. Um, and they have some pretty broad uh, spending authority with that 2.1 that I think will probably accommodate the financial needs this year. Excellent. Um, the costs if held in comparison to other states, are likely to go up once wolves hit the ground. And I think we need to revisit the conversation about what an appropriate funding level looks like moving forward. But the General Assembly uh, appropriates on an annual basis and mm -hmm. isn't generally very keen on speculating too far down the road. Sure, sure. Which is a good segue to the second bill, um, which is uh, Senate Bill 255. And this bill um, creates a compensation account for wolf depredation. The language in Proposition 114 required the state to offer fair compensation for wolf depredation. It was important to us um, that that be established under a standalone account. I think the argument is fair and sound that this was a statewide initiative and the funding for that compensation needs to come from statewide taxpayers as well, rather than from the, the coffers of the uh, hook and bullet community. Um, and so that bill will uh, direct $350,000 annually in a continuous appropriation to a designated wolf depredation account that will um, allow for payments to 
uh, livestock operators who incur economic loss, and that could come in the form of either injury or death um, to livestock. Whether or not that number proves to be sufficient, I think still remains to be seen, but it, it's a good start. Um, it's consistent with uh, other surrounding Rocky Mountain Western states um, in terms of dollar figures. And um, we're, we're very pleased uh, that the governor's office and the Department of Natural Resources has come out in support of that bill. And, um, has you it know, got it, bipartisan support, Gaspar? It does. It does. Um, in fact, I think nearly every Western Slope legislator has signed on to that bill as either a sponsor or a co-sponsor. Um, which is important to recognize from a political standpoint, too, because Proposition 114 only authorized the reintroduction of wolves west of the Continental Divide, <laughs> which is the rural part of our state. The overwhelming majority of Western Slope counties voted in opposition to Prop 114. And so, yeah, to see uh, the bipartisan support of, of our Western Slope legislators uh, in support of this bill is, is a strong statement certainly more than just the need for compensation. It, it, Gaspar, is, it, is the bipartisanship that we're seeing almost just a, it, it, it is promising. I just, I just wonder whether or not it's almost just like, well, we've got wolves coming. We've got to make chicken salad out of chicken shit, essentially. Um, yeah, I think there's a little salad making taking place here for sure. Yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. So there's a third bill that is now making its way, which is probably the one that is probably the, the, the most uh, interesting slash complicated slash has the most implications. Right? Wrong? Certainly fair. Yeah, the... Uh, <laughs> Casper, you're such a political. You're that. such a political guy. Certainly fair. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, this bill is undeniably brought with it far more controversy than the other two. Um, <clears throat> it does still maintain bipartisan support, supported by the vast majority of of the Western Slope legislators, as I'd previously mentioned. But um, the implications of this bill are much higher political stakes for certain folks than than the others and um you know from our vantage point it's also among the most important um correct so a little background on this the the 10j bill is what it has been called in in shorthand um it is effectively a um prescription for the process of reintroduction of wolves in colorado without circumventing what well, that's a difficult question to answer because there's a, a series of answers to that. So let me rephrase that by saying, um, so here's, here's how I would articulate the need for this bill. The state, after Prop 114, was tasked statutorily with going forward with developing a plan that would lead to the reintroduction of wolves in Colorado in specified areas. At the time that the people of Colorado voted on Proposition 114, the wolf had been delisted through Correct. a secretarial order of Secretary Bernhardt. Correct. Which meant that the state, the management of the wolves, was going to fall in CPW's hands. 
That's right, because the wolf at that point was not classified as an endangered species under the ESA list, but rather a threatened species. And the way that the letter of the federal law reads there is that states maintain management of those threatened species. And so there's a strong argument to be made that when the people of Colorado voted in favor of that, it was on the assumption that the state would maintain the management responsibility for the wolves and would have all of the tools available to them to manage them as we saw fit. Well, fast forward in um, February of 2020, the wolf finds its way back onto the endangered species list by way of a court order, which meant that the federal U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service had sole management authority of wolves in the lower 48 states, with the exception of a few of the northern Rocky Mountain states who had already been through previously approved U.S. Fish and Wildlife right. Service plans, right? Changed the dynamic incredibly. Yeah, because now the feds were in charge of reintroduction, potentially. Right. So the 10J rule is a provision of the Endangered Species Act that effectively allows a state to introduce a population of wolves um, not as endangered, but as an experimental, non-essential population. The idea there is that this is a distinct and wholly separate population of wolves, not necessary to re, uh, for the recovery objectives of the endangered species writ large. And with that comes a bit of a relaxed management approach to the otherwise pretty strict ESA standards. And that can include things like lethal tape. That can include things like co-management authority between the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the state. That allows for a certain degree of hazing techniques for agricultural producers. It, in some cases, is linked to the delisting criteria of what constitutes recovery and triggers a, uh, a management back to the state. And ultimately, upon the recovery of the population within the objective, leads to the option of hunter harvest as well. Right. And so it is a fundamentally critical <laughs> tool, law, piece of the puzzle that must be accompanied with a wolf reintroduction in Colorado. Now, nothing requires the state to have a 10J to move forward with a reintroduction in Colorado. But and isn't it isn't it true though? Let me stop you there. Yeah. Because I if 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 color let's 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 play what ifs. If Colorado does not get the 10J rule because even though this is going through the Senate, it doesn't mean you're going to get it. It still needs to be issued by the feds, right? The bill has virtually no impact Correct. on the approval of the 10J itself. Yeah. So if you don't get the 10J, if the state of Colorado doesn't get the 10J, there is, there's actually no way that you can physically put wolves on the ground before NEPA and the environmental assessment is done. Well, it... it couple of ways to think about that question. The, the bill, yes, does not approve the 10J. As, it's an entirely separate process. What this bill does is says Colorado may not move forward with a reintroduction until a 10J has been issued by Fish and Wildlife Service. So if the bill passes gotcha. both chambers and is signed by the governor, the state could not move forward with a reintroduction of wolves in Colorado unless they received a 10J. Now, 
Even so, if the if they okay, I, let me peel that a bit. I want to peel that apart a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, is this legislature saying you have to have a ten J? That's exactly what it's saying. Not I. Not not the opposite of what I just said, which is you're not going to get the ten J. We're going to go through NEPA. We're going to go through EA. Do our assessment and then do whatever the the feds do from a, a reintroduction perspective. Yeah, so there a 10J in most cases requires a NEPA evaluation and a full blown EIS, right? Um the state is proposing to introduce wolves not on federal lands but on private lands, which narrows the scope of the environmental impact statement that is necessarily required under the Endangered Species Act. But the state can reintroduce wolves into Colorado without a 10J. There are provisions under their Section 6 agreement. There are provisions within the ESA um, that are known as a 4A1A that allow for the transport of endangered species. There, there are circumstances by which the state could move forward with a reintroduction of wolves in Colorado, absent a 10J. And that prospect is what this bill is seeking to mitigate against. <laughs> I, from my vantage point, a reintroduction of wolves in Colorado without a 10J is absolute worst case scenario. Correct. We have forfeited any potential state management responsibility. Yep. We have cast aside all of the work that went into the wolf restoration and management plan, all of the expenditure and time and effort and the commitment that Colorado Parks and Wildlife has already made in pursuit of the 10J, and we've gotten nothing for it. Where this gets interesting is we're on a short timeline. It has been, Prop 114 has been interpreted as such that wolves must be paused on the ground, as you said, by the end of the year. If Fish and Wildlife Service, for whatever reason, does not issue that 10J by year's end, there's a question that needs to be answered of, do we move forward with the existing statutory requirements of pause on the ground by the end of the year? Or do we wait for the 10J? We don't want any of that question to move forward without a 10J. It's just, it, it, this bill is seeking to provide the state additional time in the occasion Fish and Wildlife Service takes longer <laughs> than the end of the year to issue the 10J. Okay, I got a question. First of all, you guys are nerds with all this 10J, NEPAs, NEPAs, <laughs> right? Gaspar, you just said the worst case scenario is we move forward and and put paws on the ground Without a 10J, I think, right? You, you'd Correct, you'd, yep. Okay, I don't, zero argument, but I don't understand why that's the worst case scenario. I, I don't understand, I don't, I'm not saying that I even think it's not the worst case scenario. I just don't understand why it is. Can you give me a little uh, dumbass explanation on that? Explanation for a dumbass, not that your explanation would be from the dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that clarification. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the value of the 10J is the flexibility in how wolves can be managed and the fact that the state has discretion in that management. Without a 10J, Fish and Wildlife Service has full oversight and management authority. And they would not issue any lethal take option. They would not issue the... Um, preventative techniques that would be under the 10J, we would be subscribing ourselves to a management protocol that is as strict 
as an interpretation of ESA can get. <laughs> and, okay. and that's why that would be worst case scenario. Makes Plus, sense. you know, look, I mean, we've agree or disagree with the plan, um, the, the wolf restoration and what management plan that Colorado Parks and Wildlife has come up with. There was significant stakeholder involvement in that. They put together two working groups. One was a technical advisory group and the other was a stakeholder advisory group. Um, and they, through a series of meetings, series of conversations all across the state with every interested stakeholder, have put forward a plan that reflects the public's interest here. And that would be cast aside as well. Um, you know, obviously our hope is and the expectation is that that management plan that was developed by the state through that process I just articulated will serve as the baseline for a 10J management plan. And without a 10J, all of that effort and all of that input will be cast aside. Hmm. All right, I got that. That's what I do. Basically, we lose the, the state of Colorado loses their ability to manage as they see fit without the 10J. Fair, fair statement. Fair statement. Okay. Now, now I understand, and I agree that's a bad or a worst case scenario. So, the bills have been introduced. They have all passed out of one committee. Uh, Senate Bill fifty. 255 and 256 both passed out of the Senate Agriculture Committee uh, last week and are on their way to the Appropriations Committee. The license plate bill uh, passed out of the House Finance Committee uh, earlier this week and is on its way to the Appropriations Committee as well. All three of these bills have a, a long path forward. Um, I think that is exceptionally true for the 10J bill right now. There is significant opposition to the 10J bill. And the arguments that are being made um, are that the 10J bill will result in a, re, uh, in a delay of the implementation. There are provisions in the, the 10J bill currently that um, effectively say the state can't move forward with a reintroduction until a 10J has been issued and that all litigation has come to cease. There's a statute of limitations on that litigation, which is six is years. Is that litigation so, happening right now? Well, not at the moment, no. Um, but you can bet your bottom dollar there will be lawsuits coming from every angle on this um, the second that the plan is approved. Oh, you think the, you mean the wolf management plan or the 10J regulation? Yes, across the board. There oh, okay. will be, I, I mean, I'm speculating here, of course, but yeah. I think it is a fair assumption to expect that we will see Litigation on deficiency around the environmental impact statement, litigation on inadequate protections for a reintroduced population of wolves under 10J. I, I think we will see litigation from everywhere. Both and, sides of the spectrum. Yeah, and the reason for that litigation language in the bill currently is because we have borne witness to what has happened in other states, right? Um, we know that there are a good number of animal welfare advocates who are sophisticated and well-funded who have effectively prolonged the application of a 10Js. Idaho, for example. I think when Idaho um, first introduced wolves, they dropped 35 on the landscape in 2009, if I remember correctly. And they were sued around 
insufficiencies in the environmental impact statement and protections to wolves. And it wasn't until, well, so I should back up a little bit. The recovery objective at that point, a condition of the 10J before the state assumed management authority was that the recovery objective was either 100 wolves or 10 breeding pair. It wasn't until 2009 that the state was allowed finally to open up a hunter harvest of wolves. And at that point, there were 835 wolves and 94 packs on the landscape. In other words, the 10J, by way of, of suing, was um, an injunction was placed on it, which means that the 10J didn't really take effect, that the judge had said, until we settle these legal matters, that newly established 10J is not law. And it took that long, and we far, far surpassed the recovery objectives. Uh, and it, it was a delay tactic, undeniably, to get sufficient numbers of wolves on the ground before the state could assume any management authority. We've seen that happen all throughout the Rocky Mountain West, and it's a reasonable assumption that we should expect a similar playbook here. And so we're mm-hmm. looking to protect against that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the arguments that this will delay the timeline that was approved by the voters is not an inaccurate one, um, that it certainly has that potential. But that's the background. And that's the reason for consideration around the litigation element at the moment. Gaspar, is the Fish and Wildlife Service actively undertaking an EIS right now? An EIS being an environmental impact statement, Cody, Heichmann, and others. So, yeah, the, the state, or I'm sorry, the uh, U.S. Fish and, well, the state paid for an EIS. I, right. I, I should note that that was funded by the state. Um, it was narrow in scope. But yes, that has led to the three alternative actions that were proposed under the, the 10J rule. Um, and so it, an environmental impact statement um, is being done, has been done, and um, will serve as a baseline for a 10J approval. Now, has that EIS been completed? Is it out for public comment? I don't think I've ever seen it. I don't know that that has been completed. It is, okay. I think they are soliciting public comment at the moment. In okay. fact, I know they are soliciting public comment at the moment. Um, so a draft has been completed. Yep, yep. Okay. What's the other, what, anyone that's against this piece of legislation that, that, that uh, requires the 10J before reintroduction? Because it could delay the reintroduction is just a piss-poor argument against it. Do they have another level of the 10J will allow this and we don't like is just is the delay the only uh the only bullet point from the opponents of the legislation we've seen several arguments against it um there are some folks in the uh animal welfare community who have testified publicly to the fact that they don't think a 10j is appropriate they use clever arguments like it'll tie the state's hand and why would we want to be party to a joint management prescription um, I, I think that comes from a place of wanting the utmost protection under all and every circumstances for the wolves. Um, there are other folks who, and I, I think the vast majority of people are, are approaching this from, at least from the opposition perspective, from a vantage point of, we voted for wolves on the ground by the end of 2023. This bill is a delay tactic to ensuring that we get our wolves. And um, 
like I said, it, it's a fair argument. There, there are certainly circumstances that this 10J bill would result in a delayed reintroduction. But, you know, we got to ask ourselves the question, wolves are coming one way or another. Don't we have an obligation to do this correctly and in a way that preserves the integrity and the underlying intent, intent of Proposition 114 while providing our state wildlife professionals the maximum amount of management prescriptions and protocol? I, that is the correct way to go about this. I, I think it's fundamentally necessary for a successful wolf reintroduction as well. Um, you know, the, the one thing that gets lost in a lot of this is there is going to be depredation. Mm-hmm. And the relationship that Colorado Parks and Wildlife has with our landowners cannot be overstated. They, they make up 60% of the habitat for ungulate species in the state. There's no scenario where Colorado is a sportsman's paradise that it is currently without a strong working relationship between the Colorado Parks and Wildlife staff. And I'm talking the guys on the ground that are shaking hands in the local community <laughs> and, and um, the, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife um, leadership as well. That is a relationship that needs to be preserved. And the way that we do that is by providing sufficient tools to to Colorado Parks and Wildlife to work with these landowners in a very real and meaningful way. Because in the occasion, that relationship that we have worked so hard to foster and develop evaporates. A lot of the access programs, a lot of the participation in the landowner programs, uh, you know, we, we've got, um, set, I don't know, let's say a dozen different varieties of, of Colorado Parks and Wildlife initiated and driven landowner programs. And it has resulted in increased access, increased habitat, hunter opportunity, youth opportunity, and frankly, just a more robust wildlife population in the state. And we do not want to see that dissolve into something that is more contentious than needs to be. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Very well said. That's exactly the scenario we all hope for. Yeah. And, you know, look, I, I, it is my hope that this bill is meaningless. I hope that the state secures the 10J before the end of the year. We can move forward with a wolf reintroduction in a way that it needs to be done. And, um, you know, we can say this bill was meaningless at that point. That's best case scenario. But given that there are, are opportunities and alternative approaches that don't require the 10J, it feels like a responsibility of the landowner and the sportsman community to protect ourselves against that worst case scenario. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Well, Gaspar, I know that um, folks like me and especially folks like Cody are now very much more up to speed with the nomenclature, the acronyms associated with reintroduction. <laughs> That did get um, a little technical. Oh, it no, is it technical. Wasn't, it wasn't bad at all. You spend much time talking to Robbie. You just have to learn to deal with technical nerdism as a, at its finest. But no, I, I appreciate the insight. I think we have a lot of uh, I think we have a lot of listeners that really want to know the story, right? And I don't think right. you can do that other than sitting down. Um, it's probably the only thing I offer to this podcast is asking the questions of those of us who are really on the periphery or the outside looking in and don't completely understand all of it. Um, and, in, and, and with me, it's also like, I know that this is going to piss people off, but I mean, I, I've walked around 
in 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 the tracks of and heard wolves in the wild and it's cool as shit man it is it's oh cool. sure it's cool as hell and there's a small part of me um i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna go out and and be around where they're at i've seen the i've seen the two weird ovals on the map those are places that i'm that i'm in every once in a while um you know i'm i'm not uh i like wolves I just don't, I just think it's absolutely crazy that I get so pissed off about the whole, we know how the two halves of the state are going to vote and we're going to, we, we drew it, drew a damn line. So all the people that are going to vote for the wolves didn't have to deal with the problems of the wolves. They could just drive down I-70 and see them every once in a while. Um, and that part of it to me is like almost, it's almost fucking colonialism kind of like I'm we're over here and we're going to affect you over here whether you want us to or not that part of it is is pisses me off so bad uh, I would have been less upset about this whole thing if they'd have been putting packs all over the state right it wouldn't have seemed so hypocritical to me um that's not true it would have been worse but anyway I I appreciate the nerdism stuff. I I want to know what's really going on, um, but maybe I don't want to know bad enough to do the research myself. Minus these podcasts, <laughs> I appreciate. <laughs> well, there's a, a. I'd be remiss if I didn't highlight there is a very strong alliance of sportsmen organizations under the banner of the Colorado Wildlife Conservation Project who have been the tip of the spear and defending the the promotion and advancement of of the hunting and angling sports in Colorado and my hat goes off to them and their membership because without that alliance we would be in a far worse position than we are today and they're dedicated folks who understand this ground and have genuinely stepped up in a way that has made Colorado better for sportsmen and sportswomen from every corner of the state um I'll also note for those that are in Colorado, we do have our Sportsman's Day at the Capitol coming up on April 27th. We'd love to see everybody down there. This is a, a rally cry in support of all things hunting and angling. And um, obviously we will be, um, you know, sharing some wild game over lunch. And uh, it's an opportunity for you to sit down and shake hands with your state legislator or uh, and get to know uh, the landscape and how you can involve yourself in a, in a more meaningful way and in a more meaningful role. And we encourage everybody who spends time in the woods in the fall to come join us to uh, preserve what we have today for future generations under the Golden Dome at the Capitol. Outstanding. April 26th, you said? April 27th from 11 to 1. April 27th. Amazing. And for those of you in Colorado, get there. Um... And uh, Gaspar, thank you, man. Thank you for reaching out. Uh, thank you, thank guys. you for the conversation. We always appreciate it. Anytime you want to come back on, come nerd out. I'm all for it. Sounds great. Well, keep up the work you guys are doing. We really appreciate you. Yeah, you Thank too. you, Gaspar. You too. Take care, guys. Ciao, ciao. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.
On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at Ooh. that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.